But so what are you doing out in Colorado? Are you just training out there on the track? Um, not on the track, just trying to get some altitude training while I'm here. Okay. So is that something that yeah, you find been beneficial good. or do you do that all the time or is that something relatively new? Um, I try to come out here, you know, a little bit. Um, getting like a two week or three week block out here is usually pretty beneficial and then going back down in Nebraska at sea level to so you don't lose that high intensity. It's kind of the best of both where you like you get that aerobic adaptation and you get those benefits. Um, but then you can still go back down to sea level and like, you know, your muscles are used to producing that higher power, which is good. Yeah, it's cool. I remember I used to be coached by fast cat. Those are the first guys that had coached me out there. And that's when I think Greg Henderson was out there and he wasn't leaving. So he was yeah. going to the fast cat to do oxygen intervals so that he could actually put out Watts and not be suffering at the altitude. So it's nice that you can go back and forth. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the same idea as like when, when uh, I was with the national team, you know, we had like the, the same thing, like an, a room where you could monitor the oxygen and take the, change the temperature, the humidity and the altitude as well. So we'd go do intervals in there for sure. That's awesome. So what is, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, this is, I appreciate you taking some time. Um, we're kind of jumping in right off the gun, which is great. Uh, this is really for people that yeah, haven't yeah. seen these interviews before, it's really just, you know, we started talking to your Instagram and there's so many new cyclists that there's so much information out there. And I think that, you know, I've ridden now seriously for 10 years and I look back and I'm like, man, you forget how many things you didn't know. And we sort of started this just like I was talking on the phone and we were like, shoot, we should record this and just put it out there and see if people like it. So getting, you know, different viewpoints from people has been really beneficial. And your name came up when I was talking to Grant Coons. And uh, so I was following him and I was like, oh man, I got to see if this guy can just, you know, chat about cycling. And you've had a really interesting kind of come up to where you are. Um, You know, I was reading through different articles you had done and interviews and it was kind of like, well, you introduce yourself. How do you introduce yourself? Because you have a, you're in different <laughs> realms, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'd consider myself like, yeah, professional gravel track cyclist. Uh, you know, live on a farm in Nebraska, race a lot of gravel, uh, still do track, you know, as much as I can with everything closed down. Um yeah, I don't know. I'm not very good at talking about myself. Really. <laughs> well, it's that was actually going to be one of my questions later on. So I usually don't have too many questions because it's like the conversations usually just flow. But um, that's sort of what I gathered from you had started racing in Nebraska and kind of got burnt out from crits and just like the usual road scene. Uh, got into the ultra, ultra rad nearing, which sounded really cool. Yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. then you went to Kansas, is that correct? Uh, yeah, that's correct. Okay. Yeah. So I did the randoneering stuff when I was in college in my undergrad in Hastings. Um, cause it's all out in Colorado. So, or like the, the Brevet series that I did, um, was out in Colorado. Okay. So I would just drive out there, uh, you know, stay overnight, do a race, drive back the next day or something. And how long were you riding on those rides? 
Well, the shortest one was a 200K um, and the longest one was a 1200K. So the thing with the 1200K, there's only like a handful, I mean, like maybe 20 or 30 events in the like worldwide every year. So yeah. just to do a 1200K is kind of a big deal. Um, just cause like, it's a logistical challenge. Like it's, you know, it's 1200 kilometers, like basically <laughs> just four days of double centuries. Um, so I picked that I wanted to do what's called the high country 1200 K. So that starts in Longmont, Colorado. And we went, I mean, the first day we went up to Saratoga, Wyoming. So like, that's how far it is. You know, you're in a whole different state. And then we rode across to Laramie, down to Steamboat, Northern Colorado, and then back to Longmont. Um, but just to do that, just to register for a 1200K, they only take 50 people every year. And just to register to do that, you have to complete what's called a super randonnée series. So that's a two, a three, a four, and a 600K within the previous calendar year. If you complete those, finish all of them, then you can sign up for the 1200K. Dang. So it was like a pretty big ordeal just to like, you know, I'm in college and like skipping band concerts and stuff and like trying to get out of it and go do this thing. And it, it worked out. It was super fun. Yeah. So meanwhile, while we're all complaining that we like can't get into DK or we can't register for a race, we should really be not complaining because we didn't have to do a two, four and 600K event simply to sign up. Well, and it's just a different format, you know, like, because then once you do, once you complete a 1200K, you could, I like, I could have signed up for that one the next year without doing that whole event, but then you just have to keep doing it every year. Yeah, okay. I didn't, so, yeah. if I wanted to do a 1200K again, I'd have to do that whole series again. That's crazy. So, what's, yeah. the, uh, before I forget to ask you, what is Bahama Longbottom? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, when I worked at a bike shop in Lawrence, Kansas, I worked at a Sunflower Bike Shop in okay. Lawrence, Kansas. And um, we, like most bike shops, you know, if you change a flat or like you do a special order, we would have to initial our name and then date it. So I would write like A-L and then the date if I changed a flat or like did a work, like we, it was paper, like we're still pretty old school there. Yeah. Um, and like, right when I first started working, uh, a good buddy of mine that I worked with, uh, he's a great photographer, Andy White. Um, he like, couldn't remember my last name. And someone was like, Oh, what's that new, new guy with the mustache? Like, what's his last name? And Andy's like, I don't know, man, probably something stupid, like long about him. <laughs> and like the other half of that was that it's kind of, so then it was assy long bottom for a while. And the other half of that is that, like, it's really hot. We don't have AC there. Uh, and so I'd wear Hawaiian shirts, like, all summer. You know, I have, like, maybe five or six Hawaiian shirts, and I'd just wear them all summer. Uh, or, like, Hawaiian tank tops or, like, whatever, man. And so then it became Bahama Longbottom. Uh, my first gravel bike was, like, uh, Crux that I had painted by uh, Tony. Tony Bellingham. Or, yeah. no, what's his last name? No, it's Tony. Made red by Tony. Uh, I just, dude, I found that bike when I was Googling what the hell Bahama Longbottom was. Yeah, so that was, that was like my first gravel bike that, yeah. So now that's on display at the current shop I work at, Method Cycles. Okay, very cool. Yeah. So <laughs> a couple things. My sleuthing was, uh, number one, don't look up Longbottom. Don't Google that term. 
uh, Urban Dictionary has a very yeah. Different... You'll probably get <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm like, I see you chopping and cutting and doing these tables. So I'm like, is a long bottom like a surfboard? And I'm like, this dude's from Nebraska. Maybe he's really into surfing. And uh, uh, okay. yeah. it's good to get the uh, the background on that. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, just an old bike shop shenanigans. Yeah. So what's um so what are you like stoked on right now for training? You're at you're what are you training for? What's um we're going in we're in December here. Is it no end of November yeah. in December? What's kinda on your radar? Yeah. And it's obviously weird um, with COVID, but what's your hope? Yeah, for- I mean it is. Um, I mean Depending on, you know, how travel and everything else works out and track access, uh, I'd love to take a good crack at the hour record sometime in, like, the next, you know, six months. Um, Unbound Gravel, that's that's one that's definitely on my radar mid-south because uh, the whole track calendar changed this year. So I haven't been able to, like, really give a good, you know, college try at mid-south because it's, like, it seems like consistently the last three years it's been I land on a plane from Europe and then like three days later I'm driving to Oklahoma and that's not like the best prep to get you know if I'm just competing at world championships for track for 4k and then three days later I'm still jet lagged and they're like oh go ride 100 miles I'm like oh god all right I'll give it a shot and it's fun you know I love going down there I love the event like I love hanging out with Bobby and all those guys at district like it's such a good event and I love supporting it so it's never like, oh, well, I don't want to go. It's like, I'll still go. I'm just not going to be competitive. Yeah. No, it's, I actually, I saw So this year, I really want to be, com- oh, go ahead. No, I, I saw you there a couple years ago. And uh, before I had known who you were, and I thought it was, I was like, oh, this is really, really cool. This dude, you were in USA kid. I always think it's, I'm a very like, I know some people are like anti pros coming to gravel stuff. I'm all for it. I think the better competition like people are there and someone was like yeah that's this is some like track guy and i was like oh it's really cool this dude is is coming to a gravel event and (laughs) i didn't know your background of like you're actually a gravel person also which was really neat and that race is cool i was uh actually after seeing it last year i was glad i wasn't able to go because it looked it was such a mess that's not really my stick but uh yeah it was grim man you yeah. ready for mud. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty consistent. Um, congrats. I saw you posted on you're now coaching athletes and working with your lifting coach from Athletic Strength Institute, which that's super cool. Yeah. Congrats on that. Yeah. Thanks, what? man. Yeah, I'm really excited. I've got – go ahead. No, yeah, tell me about it. Um, well, it's something I've wanted to do for a long time, you know, just like uh, – I've had a lot of coaches that were like really instrumental and I feel like I've studied a lot and I've learned a lot about, you know, not just track stuff, but physiology stuff in general. And I've learned a ton from uh, my strength coach, Chris Delasega. Um, so being able to kind of like apply the stuff I've learned in the gym um, and help other cyclists like access that and get faster mm-hmm. and not just like, not just on track, but, you know, I think in general cycling, as a sport very much has like, Oh, well, you know, you do a base period and that's when you do gym and you don't do gym during the season. And that's just like, that's just the way it's always been done. And that's the only reason. And that's a shit reason to do pretty much anything. Um, so, you know, I think a lot of people saw me 
you know, for track sprinters will be in the gym, like the day of competition. And I would do the same thing. Like I'd be in the gym day of day before and people were like, Oh my God, what are you doing? Like, that's crazy. I'm like, no dude, it's science. Like that's how science works. Like you go faster. And so I think a lot of people have kind of seen like, Oh, well this kind of works. And so I want to try and you know, do what I can and work with athletes that are interested in uh, a little bit different approach and, um, you know, hopefully make some, some big changes with cycling. Yeah, that's incredible. What's, so what is, so this is something I have no clue on. I'm a big proponent of lifting and year round. I don't, what is the science behind uh, you're saying when, when uh, Grant was like, oh yeah, Ashton lifts the day of a race. It blew my mind. But some days when I yeah. live and then go ride <laughs> on the bike and I'm like, I don't even feel like I need to warm up. Like I'm ready to crush. And is there something? called potentiation. Yeah. Say it one more time. Potentiation. Potentiation. Okay. So what's. So it's like the, the big one for me that I, I personally feel like works really well is uh, I'll do like really heavy deadlifts, like um, usually rack pulls. So not a deadlift from the ground, but a deadlift from like, below the knee or maybe above the knee even like a partial range of motion deadlift Mm -hmm. and for me that really replicates like jumping off the start line coming out of the gate when you're driving your hips forward and there's that like extension and also just pushing your hips forward like that motion it's the same motion as a deadlift so if you can go and deadlift you know even partial range of motion uh you know what like 150 kilos or something and just do it once. It's not enough to make you fatigued. If you take the time to warm up to that, you're not going to be fatigued. You're not going to be sore because you've been doing it all season. Um, but then your body's used to, like your muscles are used to working that hard. And so then when you go do it on the bike, it's the same thing. Like it's not this big shock to the system when you're asking, you know, if your warm up is uh, just zone two and maybe, you know, three minutes at VO2. Mm-hmm. when you're asking your body to do a standing start it's like what the fuck we didn't rehearse this yeah so doing gym the day of is sort of setting yourself up for success later like i find i always ride really really well after a posterior chain day like doing back extensions good mornings um deadlifts are always a staple like i i love doing a good hard effort like the day after that it always goes super super well so the day after, do you like the day after riding or, or versus the day of, or does that, have you found any correlation between the two or, cause sometimes I struggle the day after and I haven't, I've been kind of as I was messaging, messaging to you, I've only been lifting seriously, probably 18 months now. So I still in the realm of lifting very newbie. Um, but it was last year that I was really the first time where I lifted all race season. And I was giving myself three days yeah. before an event. And this winter is when I'm like, wait a minute, mm. I think I could just lift all week. Like, it, I don't know. So what do you think day of or yeah. day after is better? Um, well, I think it also depends on the time of year. So that's the other thing that uh, actually probably drew me to working with Chris, you know, everybody does periodized, uh, like on the bike training programs that's industry standard everybody gets that like build base peak specificate or specificity like that all makes sense but then people will like have a strength maintenance program they do every fucking day it's like you do the same thing every tuesday for the whole season yeah like come on well you wouldn't do that on the bike like and so chris kind of introduced me like okay well 
you know, it makes sense. Like do the same thing in the gym. Um, so we kind of worked like he's got a, uh, like a functional range of motion, a range of movement assessment that we did, um, you know, identifying like structural imbalances, which, you know, relatively the same for most cyclists. It's like, you know, weak upper back from staying in the position, like tight hip flexors, uh, weak adductors, like all that stuff. Um, and so finding different ways to address that. So I will only do the same gym program for probably like four or five weeks at most, and then we change it up. Um, and so I think that that changes it. You know, if you're doing, oh, if you're doing like four by 12 cyclist squats, where it's like really hitting your VMOs and you're really sore, like from that high rep stuff, like I'm probably not going to do the right after that. But if I'm doing say like a decreasing set, you know, like five, three, two, one of just super heavy squats, I might go ride the same day. It's not that it's just, you're lessening the volume in the gym, like total, total pounds lifted. Okay. So that's really, so it's sort of like working with the volume that you're doing. Yeah. So when you say changing up the program, you're, are you talking the types of lifts or the way you're actually lifting like five, three, one or more reps? Yeah. Got it. Both. Both. Okay. So that's really interesting. Because the one, are you familiar? It's a linear progression. It's called GZCLP. It's like pretty popular on Reddit. It's kind of what I followed where mm. it's a progressive year. The, it's three tiers of lifting, T1, T2, and T3. And you start with five by three. And when you fail that, you move to six by two, then 10 by one. And when you can't do that, then you retest. But anyways, it's mostly focused on deadlift, squat, and overhead press. I don't <clears throat> bench day but that's really interesting to think of changing the program with the different lifts because i'll do tertiary lifts that help support those tier one lifts but i've never actually like sure. cycled through a different program so i'll have to look and think about doing that um because just like in cycling you when you hit a lifting plateau my only solution so far has been take a week off and rest retest everything kind of restart whereas you're really hitting on an important part where when I have people that are like soup that have not started lifting and they do body weight stuff and I assign them something, they're like, this is going to be a joke. I'm like, just do it. And then let me know how it goes. And they're like, yeah, I can't believe how sore so I am. Sore. So sore. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, you find those imbalances that I think is, is great that you're saying like it's helping cyclists see how unbalanced our sport is and for sure i never noticed it until i i'm 38 now but when i was probably 35 is when i started having to pay more attention to those little things like i thought i had an issue with my hip and it was just my hip flexors got super tight i wasn't staying on the yep. gym all year um so have you always lifted or when did you get into when did lifting become a part of your life yeah i started in the gym it would have been after my first national title in 2017. Okay. So that was when I started working with, maybe a little bit before that, but that was kind of when I started working with Chris like full time. Okay. So I've worked with him over three years at this point. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. What's yeah, up? It's been going really well. What's your thought on the training stress? Do you, you had mentioned that when you do a heavy day, you're like, you do 70 TSS. 
do you switch that up? Is that based on anything? Because is it a guesstimate? No. Yeah. It's just a guess. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Honestly, it was like, you know, you kind of got a feel for like, you go do a 75 TSS ride and you're like, okay, I kind of get a sense of how hard that was. And then like, you go do the gym and it was like, um, talking with my teammate, Christina Birch, who also works with Chris. uh, And, you know, we just kind of were like, oh yeah, 75 seems about right. Okay. And so that's just what we'll leave it at. I mean, it's just, it's a, it's an imperfect metric, but like, there's so it's so difficult because you can't you can't even look at total tonnage because like, like you know someone who's taller is going to be moving the weight more maybe you you're doing explosive stuff and that's going to have a different training effect or like you know partial range of motion versus full range of like totally. you know there's so many different factors like so many yeah it's just it's like would, you know what 75 is good enough for now yeah i was curious about that because i've w- for a long time, I didn't add it because then I was like, I made the comment to something I'm like, well, if I go like, if I'm walking around, I used to sell medical devices and I was on my feet all day. I'm like, so if I'm on my feet all day and I'm walking back and forth and doing all that, am I TSSing that? Like if I, do I have to put a heart rate monitor on? I'm not going to TSS everything. But then once I really started lifting, yeah. like, man, I feel like I should be putting something to these because it's definitely more than just standing. And uh, so I like your 70. I'm. I kind of want to up mine. I do 50, but now I'm like, you know, maybe I should do 75. It'll make my metrics. I'll feel better about myself. I'm like, good job. <laughs> There's an extra 40 TSS a week that you need. There you go. Um, yeah, man. What's the, uh, so you had made a comment. And if people, uh, if you guys are on Instagram, people watching, um, your coach is, your lifting coach is at athletic SI. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So guys, check that uh, page out. Give them a follow. They have some really good information on that. And um, what's your, you had made a comment of like just things you had learned from coaches that have been super beneficial for you over the years. What do you think are some things that have stood out that you want to try to pass on to people? Um, Whether it be lifting, riding, training, anything. There's always those little like nuggets. I feel like when I look back at guys that have helped me out, I'm like, man, I, what a good gem that was. Yeah. For me, uh, <coughs> I probably learned this kind of from a combination of um, my first track coach, Lee Povey, and then uh, my last coach, Ben Sharp, was kind of just like really focusing on time and zones. Um, so not necessarily, you know, like if you had 20-minute threshold effort and you're doing it outside and like you had to coast for a little bit, uh, you know, don't try and like work, you know, do it, do it as a VO2 to bring your normalized power back up to threshold, right? Yeah. Like just, you coasted for two minutes, like just add two minutes to the end of the effort. Like the goal is 20 minutes of, of, at threshold. Like however that happens, whatever you have to do a stoplight at or like wherever, you know, the goal is time and zones. Mm-hmm. That's where you get the adaptations. Um, so I think, like for me, that really shows itself in like a zone two ride. You know, I did a five hour zone two ride today and I haven't looked, but like, I'd be surprised if I spent more than 30% of my time in zone one. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm huge on no coasting. It's like my, uh, I, it's, you can't yeah. do it in Colorado. And I put it, I actually have started to put an asterisk in this of like, okay, if you live in a mountainous region, do not follow us. Yeah. I, I was in Memphis where it was flat. And if you go out and you actually pedal the bike, 
don't spend more than 10% in zone one. And people will be like, this is, this is so crazy. Like, how is my percentage 20%? There's no way. And it's actually become a really fun game for people because they realize, you know, when people first start getting coached, a lot of them have to come away from the group ride. And they're like, I can't believe I was yeah. training for 45% of the ride before. I'm like, that's just, Dude, you're it's such yourself. bad training. Yeah. Yeah. Such bad yeah. training. There's a social side to it. That's but... why I, yeah. yeah. And there is, you know, there's like the, the bike handling and like, you know, you're right. The social side and like, it is sort of a, a group, like a legacy culture that you, you know, you want to be a part of, but like, that's why I love Erdman. Like I will do, if it's a workout under three hours, there's a good chance I'm just going to do it on erg mode because it's it's such higher quality. Like you're spending 100% of the time in the zones that you're supposed to. Yeah. No so question. let me ask you this. So I actually, I don't ride Zwift, so I'm like a bad person to even really comment on it. But sometimes I have people that will do erg, but because you can kind of go brainless, do you think there is benefit? I'll tell some people like, Hey, for the last interval, at least turn erg off. So you have to control it. You have to, cause some athletes, even if it's like a sweet spot or tempo, I find a lot of benefit for them learning. What does it feel like? Because then they go on the road and it's, they go from this, their power file is erg mode, like straight across. And then they go on the road and it's like, yeah. and they do the, Oh my god, I coasted. Now I need to gas it. And they're like, my average is awesome. I'm like, but you you're supposed to do sweet spot and you have so much VO2 max because you were falling below it. So what's your I don't know, what's your thought? Yeah. Maybe I'm being too strict to people. Well <laughs> No, and I think I, I, it's tough because I think that's where like <clears throat> you know what win, what wins races? Like what wins a gravel race? It doesn't matter like a time and zones, none of that matters. It's yeah. about average speed. Yeah. And I remember I learned that with the Hoobwop bike guys. It was like, what wins a team pursuit? Average speed. Like, whoever rides four kilometers the fastest, however that happens, that's what wins. And when you throw everything else out the window except average speed, you know, it's not efficient to ride, you know, dead on a power, a, a power zone when you're outside. And so I think there's, there's benefit of doing both, right? Like, <coughs> um, I wouldn't consider myself great at holding a steady power when I'm outside. Um, but I do go outside and I try to do rides where I just maintain as high of an average speed as possible. And that looks very different from totally. doing, you know, a three by 30 tempo on Erdman. And they're two completely different things, you know, like they're two very, very different skills. Mm -hmm. It's, I love that. So it just depends on what you're trying to do. Yeah, and I love that question of what wins the race because I think speed, I would that's not what my brain was thinking of. I'm like, well, wait, what are you getting towards? And it is. There's um Nobody thinks that to a fellow news podcast and I think it was um God, what's his name? One of the hosts, I'm totally blanking on his name, but he had said they do an interval by speed. And so I actually started telling a couple of people like, Hey, do two by 25. First one, do Watts. Second one, go fast. And a guy was like, can you elaborate on that? I'm like, if you see a hill, how are you going to get over that the fastest? And how, you know, maybe on the downhill, yeah. being arrow, you know, focus on going fast. And it was really, that podcast was a really good reminder of like, why are we doing all this training to go fast? So, yeah. Right, right, right. Well, what do you think? <clears throat> what do you think on the flip side? What do you think are some things that are maybe overly hyped or not as important or maybe get too much focus 
Um, cause there is now with obviously the internet, there's a ton of information. I'm more of a, I my old school guys and, you know, fast cat has more of an old school mentality back in the day. Um, I think there's a lot of mm-hmm. trends and stuff that kind of come and go. Is there anything that you would say, Hey, maybe people don't want to not to knock anything, but just like, um, I don't know, maybe, or things people aren't focusing on. Maybe people don't focus on nutrition enough, or have you seen anything of just things you've come across where you're like, ah, I need to spend my time doing something different. Yeah. Um, I've never fully understood or bought the idea of like either really low cadence or really high cadence work. Um, there's just not a ton of studies on it. And I think track in general, uh, maybe, and maybe that's why I think about it a lot, but like track in general, people are always like, Oh, you got to do the high cadence work. You got to do the high cadence work. And it's like, no, you don't, dude. You just have to put out like a ton of watts. Like that's all you need to do. Um, whatever, whatever cadence you want to do that at, if you can do, you know, 50 watts more at five RPMs less, like you're going to tell me that I should be pedaling the 120 RPMs, even though I'm doing 50 watts less, like get out, dude. No way. Yeah. yeah. Like whatever's faster wins. Like, yeah. you know, that's why uh, I think you saw the times for the IP record drop so much because no one's riding 96 inch gears anymore. You know, I was on a 116. I think Donna might've been on a 119. Like those weren't even team pursuit gears in london you know interesting people are like well why do we need to ride small gears the only reason people did it was because that's the way they've always done it yeah it's it is really cool to have people like think outside the box and do new things and try new things and i actually think that one thing a lot of people you know the whole base thing that we're talking about and periodization and with zwift coming through there are people racing all year long and with gravel coming in, racing's gone longer. So before it was like, okay, we're racing, yeah. we're racing April or let's say March, unless you're out in California till September. Then you can race cross, but then no racing. Don't go hard. Don't do any of that. And that has been totally flipped on its right. head. And people <clears throat> are, uh, you know, having great results, still going hard in a. I don't want to say people should just be going hard all the time in a controlled manner and resting. Um, right. But it's right, really, right, right. it's really changing. <laughs> and you had a comment on one blog somewhere where it was like, somebody had asked you, what's your favorite training quote? And it was, I'm going to knock at the quote exact, but like there's no overtraining, but there's under resting. And I'm. Oh, that's what my, my strength coach said. Like okay. there's no such thing as overtraining. There's only under recovery. Under recovery. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, what's your – actually, this is your great opinion to get on this. How do you feel after a rest week? Because uh, I think 90% of us, we feel a little sluggish after rest. Um, I try to have people do some like an opener's ride just to keep the body alive. But some athletes really struggle mm-hmm. with coming back. You know, they get back to the weekend, and newer cyclists will up and say, hey, rest is important. This is when your, gro- your body is recovering and you're going to come back stronger. But Saturday, if you go to a group, sure. you might not be slaying it at hour three because you've just rested. Like, this is why riders don't fully rest in a grand tour, obviously on a much smaller scale, but your body's resting. Do you have any personal tricks of, like, not feeling sort of stale, or do you get those vibes also after a rest week? I do. Um, 
but I mean, I understand that like it's important for long-term growth. You know, you can't just keep punching out 800 to 1100 TSS weeks indefinitely. Right. Uh, you got to take, you got to take time to chill. And I think, you know, if a rest week is still doing, still doing gym two days a week and, you know, 500 TSS, 400 TSS, instead of like, you know, just, just cut that in half. It's not a full, like you spend literally every waking hour of seven days sitting on the couch eating bonbons. Like you're still training and you're like, still doing yes, a little bit. Week. It's enough to stay open. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, like your body's, I mean, yeah, for us, like your body's acclimated to just riding bikes all the time and exercising all the time. And like, if you don't do that, you feel, you're going to feel like shit. Like, of course, that's what happens. Mm -hmm. No, that's good. And I think this is just a good clip, uh, an outtake to be able to show people of like, you know, we've got a world record holder here that has those same feelings. It's not just you because people that just haven't, you know, been in endurance sports before get kind of down on themselves They're like what's wrong with me i'm like it's it's part of the process i mean no it's pretty normal yeah like the first three days after a rest week you just kind of feel like shit yeah but like you'll come around you come fun. around and it's you nailed it long-term growth it's you know you do you want to you you just can't maintain something that that long forever it's uh it's just not possible yeah um yeah what do you feel like, do you have, do you have, so this is actually good, you know, not necessarily on the terms of a rest week, but say you're just having a bad week of training or, you know, life, something's going on in life and it's getting in the way. If you start to feel like unfocused training, what do you tend to do? Do you, are you one of those people that you can just write it off and you're looking forward to the next week or do you, I don't know, maybe you're a Zen Buddhist and we don't know about that about you. What's your, what are your coping strategies for when things just yeah. click in? Um, you're yeah, like I'm always really crushing it what are you talking about man every... no no that's not true I've had I had a workout uh the other day where like it was oh I was trying so I've been doing a lot of uh steady state over-unders like that's been my bread and butter workout um just trying to like bump up the total number of kgs I can burn an hour comfortably you know for me uh that that's a that's been a huge thing to try and get ready for like either unbound or hour record it's like how you know if you can go out and burn 1200 kjs an hour for three hours great that's what you need to do to win um and trying to balance that and so it was like i had i'm just trying to increase total volume of like okay i'm doing 90 t or 90 minutes of sst in one ride and then doing 100 the next week and you know up to 120 <clears throat> and so I went from uh, doing 120 with three 40-minute blocks, and I was like, you know, it'd be harder is if I did two 60-minute blocks. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> I couldn't get through the second 60-minute block. Like, I was on erg mode, and I was just like, fuck, dude, I can't do this. <laughs> um, and so I kind of made a compromise. You know, like it probably would have been better if I would have just been like, you know what, that workout didn't happen for a reason uh one day of training if you miss one day of training nothing's gonna happen like that's normal it happens it's not a big deal um if it's like a, a you know a, a phase or you know a little bit more of a long-term thing i think that's when you need to start looking and be like okay what it, what's going on like mm -hmm. i haven't been able to hit my numbers for three four five days now like 
you know, what, what am I eating wrong? Am I, am I sleeping wrong? And is there a structure in my life? But if it's just one day, it's like, man, eh, whatever. And I came back and I had a little bit more morale the next day. And so I did, you know, that second 60 minute block. And I was like, great. I got my SST for the week. Um, you know, didn't mess up my TSS too much. Like, um, yeah, that was pretty much it. So yeah. it does happen like that you, you miss a workout. It just depends on like, uh, you know, how do you look at it? You got to listen to your body and see how you feel the next day. If I would have woken up and like felt like trash again the next day, I probably would have stuck with, you know, whatever was on the calendar that was still fairly easy. Mm-hmm. No, that's or even taking, really taking a rest day. Yeah. No, that's a really good point. Especially highlighting that. I think it's easy. You know, you're ta- kind of saying, look at the forest, you know, Hey, you missed a day. Don't just stare at that one workout, like move on. But Hey, is this becoming a trend? Yeah. Three times in a row. Like, okay. But you're, you, I think the really good point is to, is it nutrition? Is it my sleep? Is, did I just get in a huge fight with my partner? Did I get fired from my job? The, all those other things that go on in people's lives. I think it's really easy when you're the athlete, you can hyper-focus on just the poor performance and you don't give yourself like, like, Hey, you had a crappy day. Like you're not going to perform. Well yeah, dude, it happens. Yeah. So I think that's, that's awesome for people to hear um, because it is demoralizing sometimes and athletes really can get down on themselves. It's like, Hey, move past that. Just if it's a trend, then you got to address something. And those are good things to highlight for people. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> What you had uh, made a comment of, you know, you're, you show up, you know, I saw you mid uh, South or it was actually called land run then. And uh, I'm like, Oh man, that's awesome. This like Olympic or this, you know, national champion is here from the track. Super cool. And in an article you were like, well, Hey, I'm still a relatively new track. I like, I go to a track and I'm like, Oh wow. Like there's zones are like, there are really fast people here. I think we yeah. as amateurs forget that, you know, pro cyclists also are like whoa there's really fast people here what are things that you do to be like hey i belong at this like your mindset i belong here i can race these people i've done the training do you have any have you ever gone through like mindset training coaching read a book like what are some things just to get your mind yeah. when you line up you're like i'm gonna rip this thing to pieces and the, maybe the follow-up is, I don't know if it's different yeah. because when you're on the track, you're not, correct me if I'm wrong, you're racing just the clock. So you're not toe-to-toe with these people. Do you think that changes it at all? Um, it does a little bit also in the sense, I mean, like Team Pursuit is another good one too. You know, like um, you're still racing with three of, three of your teammates. Like that's really important. Um, I would say the biggest thing for me is always like having the same process and doing like a couple race simulations. We would do those. And I found those to be super helpful where it's like, okay, here's the supplements I take. Here's like, I've got my kit laid out. I've got my number pinned on. Um, I've done this enough times for me coming from like a music, a music background. Um, I don't, I don't think this is like OCD. I mean, part of it was just because like as a pianist, you know, you sort of respect the piano like I would wash my hands every time before I would go practice which is also like don't be a dick and make the piano dirty for everybody else but it's just like okay and now we're in this space and this is what happens when we do this thing 
So it's like I did the same 20 minute warm up every time. I had the same sodium bicarb protocol that I tested a bunch of times. You know, I had a certain time I put on the hot pants. Uh, started my warm up the same amount of time before I started, you know, before I was on the track every time. Um, so for me, the familiarity of like being able to back yourself and uh, like, be confident that you can put up the time or ride the schedule that you're trying to do and also knowing that like sometimes you can do better than that and that's a real possibility too um you know i've had a few times where like i uh one was like i thought i was lifting pounds on a front squat and i was actually lifting kilos and so it was like i was going for like a five by five and it was like 60 pounds more than I thought and I was like cripplingly sore the next day but like sure shit I convinced myself that I could do it because I was like well my one rep max is 185 like god I should be able to do 160 for five and it was like like 225 pounds yeah. like you know and same thing it's like uh when someone was calling times for me or like you know knowing that okay you know I'm in this realm like I can I can hit these times that I'm supposed to and if the coach is calling you on the line like you know, that's good. And you don't really have time to think about like, oh, well, is my cadence really this? Or like, am I just doing, I'm doing what I'm expected to do and that's okay. Um, so, I mean, yeah, just like kind of trusting yourself. Like if you've gotten to that level where you're doing a race, like you've put in the work, you know what the other guys are like. Um, just being able to trust the process that you've already worked on, I think is huge. That is huge. I, don't I think, think just how you're, you you're not making all these micro decisions all the time. Like you've done it, you've practiced no. it, you know, it's, it's part of you as an athlete. And I think that performance piece is a lot of people don't believe in themselves. And I think that is a huge yeah. thing that holds people back and you nail like I, trust the process. You did what you did show up and race and, Hey, if things didn't work out, then you got to go back to the drawing board, but go back to the drawing board and try and, you know, find a new plan. But that's, um, that's really good. And I think just kind of going with your flow and so you're big, it sounds like you're very, um, routine. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. I do like a good routine. Is that just for races? Is that just like your lifestyle? You wake up, same thing. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a lot of things. Um, you know, I wake up and I, I don't have the same breakfast every day, but like wake up, make coffee, have breakfast, uh, <clears throat> you know, do my training. I always do my training right after breakfast. Um, and then it's like come in, you know, have a snack, have recovery, chill out for a little bit, and then try to be like doing woodworking stuff by two. Yeah. Um, you know? And so do you just take jobs? That's, that's pretty much the routine. Do you make anything specific or do you just take jobs that people want done? I see a lot of tables lately, which have looked super cool. Um, is that your special thing or is that like just a kind of a run that you're on right now? Well, yeah. So it's funny. Uh, another one of my teammates, Shane Klein is like a fantastic woodworker. Um, but we do the exact opposite ends of woodworking. So he can do like, he goes to the lumber store and buys wood and makes like these beautiful cabinets and desks and everything, you know, like 
with drawers and like cool, you know, hinges and things. And I can't do any of that because like I own a 50 year old table saw that I use a couple of times. Uh, but basically I can take a tree, knock it down and then dry it, mill it, uh, surface it and sand it into usable lumber. So it's like Shane buys the usable lumber. I make the usable lumber and he makes yeah. desks. That's um, cool. So, yeah. So I kind of do a lot of like the live edge stuff that people are into. The other half of that is that uh, the farmhouse that I live in is heated by wood. We have like a big outdoor wood furnace that it's, it's this whole system that basically the central heat in the house is powered by wood. That's awesome. Um, as you can imagine, it goes through quite a bit of wood. So that's kind of all summer if I'm not really feeling working on a project or like if I'm just, you know, just kind of want to zone out and like just run the chainsaw for a few hours. It's like, well, let's just go cut wood. Yeah. It's actually, I so I have a wood fire going right now. I had a horrible, <clears throat> I went to uh, yeah around the corner here from the farm. I've ridden by him and he's chopping wood all day. So this huge jack dude. I said, what's your name, man? He's like, Willie Nelson. You won't forget that one. I'm like, you're damn right. I won't. <laughs> I bought the wood for him. And Willie's going to be pissed when I tell him the story. Dude, I don't know what happened. I'm walking in. I'm loading up the thing next to the fireplace. And I'm walking through the front door, and a log, like, hopped through a window pane. And so I just shattered a window today right before we did this. So I was like, oh, no. My day was going so well. Damn it. <laughs> so, Damn it, Willie. Oh, that, man. Yeah, Willie's going to be like, dude, you have Butterfingers. That was horrible. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. So I will like, say, one of, those, one of the things I always thought was super bougie and I was like, this is so unnecessary and I'll never use it, is one of those log totes. You know what I'm talking about? Dude, I needed that. I bought one, I bought one last year and I fucking love it. I use it all the time. <laughs> Absolute game changer. It's so nice. Like best $20 I ever spent. Yeah, I will be buying one of those. And I actually, I had a wood burning stove when I lived in upstate New York. And the uh, before I really knew how powerful this thing was, I loaded this bad boy up and I was actually having, I had people over at my house and we weren't really like paying attention. I got it going. I closed the flue, the side thing, whatever. I'm like, yeah, just like throw logs in there. My friend's like, dude, it is so hot in here. And <laughs> we came inside, yeah. it was 87 degrees and it was the middle of winter. So we opened all Ooh. the doors and I'm like, okay, this little, it was a 1600 square foot house. So it was tiny. That thing cranked out. Oh yeah. Crazy. They get <laughs> hot, man. Yeah. So, man, I know you just had a big day riding. I appreciate you sharing all this information. Um, you guys yeah. should follow his adventures of woodworking, of gravel, track, at Bahama Longbottom on Instagram. You'll probably be popping up on the coaching page maybe as well, the Athletic SI. I don't know if you'll be doing posts there with your – so are you doing, you're doing cycling and lifting coaching, or is that combined into one? Kind of combined into one. Chris does most of the lifting programming. Um, okay. And I would do most of the on-the-bike stuff, yeah. Okay. So if you guys have questions for them, um, shoot them a message. And I guess my last question, I'm always curious, and I was trying to think if there's one of these on, uh, on not on Instagram, on the keyboard. What emoji would you say you are if you had to pick one? Oh, I use the cowboy hat emoji a lot. Okay. I feel like that's really feeding into my idiom, but like I do use that a lot. Okay. I like that one. I was trying to think of what, who did I ask? I think 
can't remember the last one. But anyways, I appreciate you sharing that. And um, dude, yeah, I look man. forward to hopefully crossing paths at a gravel race or something out. And I noticed you said uh, gravel worlds. So if that comes back, hopefully cross paths there. Yeah, that'll be on the list for sure. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Ashton, thank you so much for doing this. I know people will find a ton of yeah, thanks, information and uh, yeah, good luck <clears throat> with the rest of the trip out in Colorado. Thanks, man. Take it easy. You too, man. Talk to you later. All right. See ya. Bye.